Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Purpose at Work podcast. This is your host, Spencer Jacobson, and this episode is with Sarah Patterson, who is both the Chief People Officer at Bonobos and the VP of Talent Management at Walmart e-commerce since that acquisition. And I had the opportunity to do this interview in person with Sarah at their New York City headquarters And this is such a good episode. Sarah is so vulnerable in sharing her own story, which is very inspiring. And then it's also so good to see a company like Walmart leaning into a number of the practices and the leadership style that Sarah Patterson is bringing, particularly uh, inspired by a number of the conversations we have about uh, women in the workplace and leadership and bias. And so this is a fantastic episode and enjoy. I'd love to hear a bit about where you're from and what it was like growing up and how that right. you know influenced you. Right. So how I usually introduce myself or lately is by saying, first, I'm the adult child of a mentally ill parent. I'm the mother of two lovely young women in their 20s, one of whom is a very proud member of the LGBT community. I'm the wife of a recovering alcoholic. I grew up in the restaurant business and spent many years working behind the line on an all-male team. I have a small film production company and shot several films, one of which was a trilogy of short films about baseball, and I shot it at Shea Stadium, which is now known as City Field. I have an MBA in industrial organizational psychology. I came up um, in HR through talent acquisition. I have been in HR for 25 years. I started at Bonobos as the chief people officer, was acquired by Walmart, and here I am. Wow. Yeah. So it tells you a lot more than, like I said, what you could see on LinkedIn or my resume and what you might see when I walk in a room. And I love the idea that Everybody has a story and everybody has many layers and dimensions and we bring those to work mm-hmm. every day and we shouldn't be a ashamed of it and we shouldn't be hesitant to ask mm-hmm. and we shouldn't be fearful of finding out answers about people and understanding their story. I think that's what sometimes gets in the way. A manager doesn't want to ask too many questions about who you are or what's going on in fear that something will surface that they cannot manage or they shouldn't know. And I believe, you know, employees and and people want to share those stories so that people have a better understanding of who they are and also to help make that human connection. Yeah. Well, so for example, so I my family has a history of mental illness mm-hmm. and alcoholism. I grew up in both of those situations yeah. as well. And so right away I feel more connected to That's you. That's right. And even if it wasn't the same, even if it wasn't some of those same things, growing up with whatever dysfunction or whatever those experiences are makes me feel more connected to you right away. I also think that those experiences have given me some of the greatest strengths and gifts in my life, including empathy and resilience. And in some ways, this drive to make the world a better place. Right. Uh, and to fulfill my purpose, even. And obviously, there's the shadow side of that as well in times, the drive. I'd love to hear for you about that experience growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you, what do you feel like you, was the biggest lesson that you were able to integrate from it? I think the biggest lesson is that 
well, number one, patience, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be like in an environment where somebody might be suffering with mental illness. You have to have an enormous amount of patience and understanding because there's many times where there's a disease talking versus the real person. And you have to be able to delineate that and understand mm. that and, and, and compartmentalize. So that takes time, understanding, patience. I also feel like the situation with my parent has made me so strong and that it's stretched my patience or stretched the person I am so far that sometimes everything else seems so easy breezy afterwards. I'm like, oh, I can do that because I just went through this really horrific situation personally. So when there are very difficult things in the workplace, I have perspective. Like in the grand scheme of things, really, we're not like saving the world here. We're just making pants or we're just, you know, I mean, maybe Walmart to a certain degree is saving the world because they're making, you know, lives easier for so many people mm -hmm. around the country, right? But to a certain degree, you have to put your work in perspective. It's not the end of the world. It's not like yeah. a human life, you know? So I like to think that my personal situation has just made me a stronger yeah. member of the work community. Tell me a little bit about working in restaurants. And uh -huh. I've heard that that can be a pretty crazy atmosphere. Right. And then also, I think people would be really interested to know, how did you move from the restaurant world into something so different? Right. So, by the way, I own a restaurant still. My husband operates it. So we, I'm still in the restaurant business, which seems so crazy right now. But yes, I love the restaurant business. And I started when I was 16 years old, bussing tables. And the first thing that attracted me and stood out for me was how quickly you bonded in the restaurant. You, you just made friends so easily and everybody was united. The type of thing that we wish happened inside the four walls of a corporate environment happens in a restaurant. People just get really close, really fast, and people are very vulnerable and open and understanding. Mm. It's, it was an immediate family outside of my own family. So you know, I dug in there and I loved everything about the business from being a waiter to working behind the line, the dynamic of it, cooking, recipes, customers, client service. It was all something that I gravitated to. And then I decided to go to restaurant school after graduating college. And I spent a year cooking and learning how to operate a restaurant. And it was great fun and very exciting. And once I graduated from restaurant school, I decided, and I had worked in the kitchens of many restaurants, and that's sort of tough being like the only woman on a all-male mm. team and you know, tolerating some really interesting behaviors over the course of my, my years. And behaviors that I think I you know just let go over my head or did not address, which I now believe I should have, but just, you know, that's just yeah. what happens sometimes in your life and over the course of years. And now that, that those types of behavior behaviors are unacceptable, when I look back, I regret that. But at the same time, I won't let those behaviors happen to me now. 
so it was a learning. But it was just still great fun, great experience, and then I ended up managing a restaurant in Chicago for several years, and my brain started going a little mushy. You know, it's a, it's a muscle, and you have to exercise it, and I decided to go back to school and get my MBA and came back to New York to do that. Okay. And that's when I made the shift. Okay, got it. I'm wondering what, what was the the biggest thing that you learned in, let's say, restaurant leadership that you've been able to incorporate into into your work as an HR leader? I think it was, for me, how much love and adoration I had for every single employee, whether it was the guy who was washing the dishes or the busboys or the guys behind the line or the waiters themselves. I mean, I just, I adored them and they adored me and we laughed so much together and it was, I didn't have a judgment. There was no hierarchy in my eyes. Mm. You know, even though I was the leader and I was managing and I held the keys to everything, it was really about this incredible connection and it was really loving. And that's like, that's what stands out. It's the, the heart. Yeah, the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, we were when we were talking before about some of these words that people don't necessarily like to use at work, but that right. we're starting to use like soul and yeah. heart. How do you think about that? And and why do you feel like it's it's time to start using that language and, and why that resonates with people so much? So when I think about the future of work, which everybody's thinking about, and how many of the tasks and the work we're currently doing will be obviously taken over by automation, machines, whatever it might be. What's going to be most important in leadership is your ability to connect to other human beings and your ability to, um, and I'm going to quote somebody else, manage the energy of other human beings. And so for in order for us to make those shifts, we have to be able to really tap into what that will take. And what that will take is, you know, digging into the deepest parts of your soul and really revealing yourself, being vulnerable mm. and sharing and being open-hearted, right? And so that is why it's that much more important now to talk about it, to surface it, to you know bring attention to it as much as possible. It's the only way we're going to survive. And by the way, if you think about just technology or think about everybody's on you know their phones, the Google, yeah. they have to text, they can't call all of that stuff, that is a disconnect. And I do believe what goes around comes around, and we will, to survive, have to come back to interacting one-on-one, looking at each other in the eyes, speaking to each other, using words that are going to resonate with each other. I mean, people, it's so funny because when you speak to somebody you're sitting across, you take in from every opening, right? Like your eyes, your ears, your nose, everything, right? And when you're not getting that from another person, because everything is going to be done behind closed doors, you're going to, everybody's working remotely and you're, everything's on a machine, there's something that's going to be lost. And all we have as human beings is really our soul, right? I think. Yeah. Maybe that's out there. Yeah, I'm I wanted, very I wanted, uh, spiritual, but it's truly who we no, are. I want to I wanna dig into this more um, yeah. around, so as we create more automation, as more even relatively complex tasks are taken on by AI and technology, Mm -hmm. that importance of connecting and being human. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love for you to elaborate more on that because I don't necessarily feel like people are quite 
cognizant of what that looks like. Right. You know, they say, oh, be human, like talk to somebody. But you're, you're talking about going into the depths of your soul. And I'd love to break that down a little bit more. And you don't right. need to get scientific, but right. just to hear why that is such an advantage. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not a scientist <laughs> and I'm not doing any kind of neurological studies or whatever it Me might either. take. Right. Yeah. But I will say that, I mean, I'm human, so I'm going to go from how I respond or what I've seen. Having worked in human resources for so long and interacted with people across so many different businesses at so many different levels and seeing the response or the reaction and understanding human nature and and studying organizational theory and group dynamics and everything. I mean, I think you don't need to be a scientist to understand what connection actually means. You know, whether somebody has a connection with somebody and there's tears in their eyes or a smile on their face. I mean, these are all natural responses. So you can't get that on text. You can't see it on text, right? You can't see it on your computer, maybe in a webinar. But I do know, for instance, what we're looking at as an HR team and as a talent management team is creating learning experiences that are tapping into that. So we're looking at structuring our learning experiences, and I'm calling it experience reflection action, is that we would Mm. provide some sort of experience, for instance, if I were to break down the attributes of being a great new manager, one of which would be your listening skills. So providing an experience where all you're using are your listening skills. So a real physical experience, maybe you're blindfolded, maybe you have to do some tasks that are just requiring you use that sense. Mm. Maybe then you add to it by, you know, having somebody use that sense and then use their eyes and you do some sort of really interesting exercise. But the next part of it is the reflection. So you Mm. have this group then that take the time to reflect on how they felt in here, in their head, in their mind, how they felt the physical response and the emotional response. So they have to be able to reflect on it in that way and articulate what it it felt like in those three areas. The heart, the mind, right? and then take action. So how would you actually put that into play in a work environment? So you have this nice map of what it really means to be human in the workforce, right? You can't leave your emotions behind. You know, when somebody says, oh, they're so emotional. Of course they're emotional, they're human, Yeah. right? You know, nobody's gonna come in as a complete rock. It's interesting. I'm making. I'm just making this connection yeah. now. Obviously, you know, as a coach and and whatnot, I believe in the power of listening and yeah. I believe in the power of reflection. But especially as work does become more remote, right? And we yeah. are using more screens to interact with each other. How much more important it is to focus on listening? Because when I'm here with you in person, mm-hmm. I'm actually my whole body is listening. That's right. And though I'm doing that consciously, I still have the benefit of being able to react to you, respond to you, and listen. Whereas if we're on a screen, it's not as natural, right? right? It's a lot easier to be thinking about what I want to say next or to be, you know, let's say it was a feedback conversation to be defending. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been experiencing this with my team. So Guided is a remote company. Right. And 
I'll admit that we're having, I'm having way more communication struggles than I would, than I would really like. And it's been really tough, especially with some of our, our, you know, other folks leading the company, Mm -hmm. just getting in these breakdowns and misunderstandings and feelings are getting hurt. And I'm realizing that when I'm in person with people, the way that I listen is different than, yeah you know, on the phone or through Zoom and how much I even need to more double down on that in order for people to feel. And then it's like magic. Honestly, if I just listen and I mirror back to somebody what they said when they were giving me feedback about what I did that upset them. Right. It's like it just turns off the switch. You're like, okay, you listen to me now. We can move on. I don't care. I don't care anymore. It's fine. A hundred percent. It's so different face to face. And also then the practice of doing or. The practice of knowing there is a screen. So what do we have to, like, maybe overcompensate on certain areas so that we do get across the most important part of the meaning behind the message? I mean, mm-hmm. we, we might have to think about that. What can't you do? What shouldn't you do when you're talking across a screen? And what should you do that will have yeah. better enable the connection? That's something to think about. Like Ref- the do's and don'ts. Yeah. Yeah, reflection as well mm-hmm. is something I think we're losing as a society mm-hmm. in that there's always something to do next yeah, or even just entertainment to have next. This is something I also am super guilty of. I'll go create a leadership training experience for myself. I'll go do a retreat or I'll go do a workshop or whatever, some kind of deep dive and then... I'll schedule a full day of meetings on the Monday after the, on the Monday after the Sunday completes and Tuesday is full. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not integrating right. this learning because I'm not able to just sit and reflect on right. as much as possible. What did I learn? What right. did that feel like? What did they really say? Or that insight that I got, how does that actually pertain to what I'm doing now or tomorrow? Right. Um, and I think that's sort of an epidemic. Mm-hmm. And especially in the workplace, too, we set goals and then do we really create space to truly reflect? That's right. I'd love to hear about the performance management experience that you guys are creating. Sure. And by the way, that's part of it, too. Okay, you know, cool. We were just looking at some data around people who go back and reflect on their goals, reflect on their manager's goals, and how much more successful you are in achieving your goals when you do that. Mm. And it's like 20-something percent and up, like which is a lot when you think about it. Yeah. So it's really important to go wow. back and reflect on those things that you had initially committed to doing. So um, we are launching across Walmart e-commerce and then enterprise-wide. Um, we're aligning with what they're doing, a new performance management experience, which does start with goal setting. And the idea behind the goal setting portion of the experience is that we wanted to make it a holistic uh, platform for associates not only to address business drivers and results, but also to be able to provide context for conversation around their personal development and career expansion, as well as for people team leaders to really focus on how they can better lead those teams or what those teams would need from them 
to actually be high performing and achieve their goals. So we're starting there and we are about a week and a half, two weeks into our goal setting month and there's a lot of energy around it, which is very exciting. We've provided a lot of tools and webinars and support to enable everybody to do a lot of work now at the forefront of the the fiscal year so Mm -hmm. that at the end of the year, it becomes easier to evaluate the performance of your your associates here at Walmart and determine what's next for them. So outside of the goal setting experience or portion of this experience, we're also looking at instituting a way in which we have continuous feedback. So people can understand very easily not only what they need to do, but how they're doing along the way. So that at the end of the year, when there's a determination of what's in it for them, mm-hmm. whether it be you know a financial reward, promotion, career expansion, all of those you know opportunities, it's all sort of set up throughout the year and not a surprise. Yeah. So some of the ways in which we're supporting or enabling that is we are asking that managers and associates have regular check-ins around their goals. They can review them, they can revise them if necessary, and they are reflecting on them. And it's employee or associate enabled, meaning the associate puts themselves on the calendar of their manager, is leading the discussion around you know what's working, what's not, the assistance they might need to be successful, etc. And then we are also providing some tools so that we can have you know, crowdsourced insights. And eventually, we also want to be in a situation where um, we haven't quite gotten to a place where we're instituting this, but we are looking at how we can provide managers upward feedback so they know how they're doing with their teams. And it feels like a regular flow of insights yeah. around everybody. So not just one direction. Yeah, it sounds like owning your own mm-hmm. development. I was talking 100%. I was talking to Joan Burke, uh, the chief people officer at DocuSign mm-hmm. the other day. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things they're trying yes. to get across there is providing the let's call it the menu or setting the table. Yes. But allowing really saying to employees that you need to choose what you know you're going to create here. 100%. And you're gonna, you need to choose how you want to I mean, we're going to provide some guidelines, but we're trying to force people to do it a certain way or the managers setting up that goals meeting it just it just creates resistance right well high performing cultures are cultures wherein the associate is enabled and leads right they are the ones taking their career their trajectory into their own hands clearly supported by the company and the managers and the leaders you know there has to be that foundation set but the goal setting portion of this experience does allow for it's like a jumping off point so as you know i set my own personal goals based on behavior skills knowledge that i not, i might need to actually have in my toolbox to be successful in this year or want to have because I know it will benefit me in the long term, those discussions can happen now in a better way. And it opens up the door for that, you know, between manager and associate. I think this is that that conversation too about not having surprises Mm -hmm. at the end of the year. And I think it's also critical that you know we can have the process that says let's have regular check-ins. Right. But then really creating a culture where that is you have the space to reflect people feel like there's enough slack in the line to have a real 
direct conversation yep. about reflection and about what's working, what's not working. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because there's, there's the process, right? right? And obviously the process is important. But then also from just a cultural context perspective and, and people getting that that's okay and supported and that right. they're not going to miss something if they're just not running 100 miles an hour. Right. So, you know, this, this is a muscle that has to be mm. built here yeah. a little bit for, I would say, across Walmart. We, um, several years back when I started at Bonobos, I redesigned the performance management process and um, we call it Fit for Success. We are rolling it into this process too and it's it's similar. It has all the same elements, but um, we did a lot of work to get people comfortable with having what we referred to as your tailor your fit conversations, which were the quarterly conversations that were um, employee-led and we provided lots of uh, prompts for how you had those conversations, what you should bring to the table, how you should speak to your manager, what should be most important. And we provided lots of videos, which are very funny, and you know, resonated with the lightheartedness of Bonobo's culture, Yeah, but very helpful. So people knew that okay, this is, it's cool to speak like this or to tell my manager I'm struggling here or I need your assistance or I need your help to remove this roadblock. You know, one of the innate, in the Gallup study, I'm going to quote this, the state of the American manager, I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's really interesting. Yeah. And they, you know, just surveyed thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of employees and managers. One of the innate talents of a manager is the ability to assert themselves, remove roadblocks, and drive success. And that's what the manager's job is. I mean, the, if the associate is here to serve the customer, the manager is here to serve the associate. I'm quoting somebody else. He's famous. He's talk, does a talk. Yeah. yeah. But it's true, right? It's true. We believe in, you know, and should be servant leaders. And our goal and our job is to make sure our associates that are able and willing, clearly, but they, that's up to them, but we have to be able to recognize whether they're not willing to move the business forward, right? And in the way that's expected. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, what I heard in that is you have the associates back so they can have the back of the customer. A hundred percent, yes. And that you do remove, you pave the way for them. You pave the way. Right. I've heard another quote on leadership that leadership is removing roadblocks and giving away all the credit. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. In some ways. I want to change directions mm-hmm. a little bit here. We, we were talking about unconscious bias, mm-hmm. and you had mentioned this before, coming up in restaurants and experiencing th- some things that were not okay, or right. in retrospect were not okay, right. but that you tolerated. I'd love to hear how you what that arc has looked like for you, obviously mm-hmm. with Me Too coming into the collective mm-hmm. consciousness. It's mm-hmm. now something that we are or many of us are really addressing, Mm -hmm. there's still tons of issues and it's still, we were just having a conversation the other day where so many people, I mean, women and men, but especially Mm -hmm. women don't, they may say something, but they still will say, but I don't want you to bring it forward because I don't want to, you know, we have this, you know, survivor guilt or victim guilt. Mm -hmm. You don't want to ruin the other person's Mm -hmm. career. And it just seems so kind of fraught with, it's just complex. It is complex. Um, Can you talk about that? So I think for me, it occurred to me that I have been allowing certain things to just happen 
and I wasn't aware of it, right? It's unconscious. There's a reason why it's unconscious because you're, you know, not aware of it. <laughs> not aware of it. And, but because of all of the movements and conversation and the importance of inclusivity and, and bringing your full self to work, I could no longer just sit back and be unaware. You know, it's not like ignorance is not bliss. And it started with the way I was treated in certain meetings and then bringing that surfacing, how I felt about it, and asking that behaviors change in those meetings. And it, it's gone from there to asking people to use different language. Can you, can you give a few examples? I think this sure. would be super helpful to just give some examples of... Sure. Of, in, in, for yeah. instance, in a senior level meeting, as the only woman in that meeting, having somebody go around the room and asking for input, and because I was sitting next to a male or on the same couch as the person, a male, mm-hmm. the male would give the input and then the person would forget to ask me. Mm-hmm. And while I might have the same answer as that person... I certainly don't share a brain, but I would have liked the opportunity to say, I agree, or I have my own voice. Maybe I didn't agree. So just going around that and reflecting that if I was the last person to be asked, I was sometimes never asked, right? So that was one. Language such as kill, crush is violent. And if one in three women are being assaulted, every I don't know what the stat is, but it's huge. In their lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's one in four women and one in six men. Okay, one in four women. Yeah, we should not be using violent terms to talk about our business. It's a personal point of view, and I own that, but I don't believe in that. And mm. if we go into rooms and we say, hey, you guys, that's a big thing. Like, there's other people in that room. Mm. And it's not just all guys. So I think we need to be cognizant is it offensive is it terrible no but it's it's just like let's build the muscle it's just creating awareness and those are small things or certain ways people promote their their business we should be aware that there is so many different types of people different races ethnicities ages genders and you know to be hyper focused on where you're promoting at some points, you know, yeah. I call that out. So I think, you know, those are small things. Many of the things that I'm talking about are the language we're using when we're assessing a candidate or talking about a candidate and a follow-up when we download the, the yeah. on the interview and checking people about what they would maybe say about a woman versus a man and why they're not evaluating the same way or using the same language when they're talking about the candidate. It should be the same language. Yeah. The thing about unconscious bias is that it's unconscious, right? right. And it's funny. You ask people, do you have unconscious bias? And they'll say no. Right. Everybody does. You can't help it. Right, right. Well, it's just... I mean, you can't help it. You can be actively a participant in your own changes. Right. Well, you can be a participant in your own changes, but in some senses, too, it requires people being comfortable in calling each other out. Right. Again, because it's unconscious, so I may be doing something so there's so for guided our head of sales is a woman Mm -hmm. and I I've worked in sales cultures that weren't entirely male but were were pretty masculine in their in their ways and so I noticed that for myself it's just Mm -hmm. my 
my desire in some way is for it to, or at least in my conscious awareness, my desire is for it to be this, like, let's crush it. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's, you know, let's kill our sales numbers. And I I don't use the word kill, but Mm -hmm. it's, I even notice for myself and I'm constantly working on awareness. It's, it's the water I swim in, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do uh, on the planet's part of what this podcast is about. And it's still really hard, you know, and, and, but I'm really grateful that she is sharing feedback with me and our team about how we can shift how we're doing it. And candidly, the more I get in touch with my feminine side, the more effective I am as a leader, Mm -hmm. actually the better salesperson I am Mm -hmm. uh, when I'm in that situation. And it's actually really a gift. And I'd love to see more conversations happening. And I, you know, they are to a great extent with women in the workplace. So where we create women's groups and women's leadership networks. And so I feel like there are conversations of how can you maintain your identity or your authenticity and still be effective and respected and successful in what you're doing. I'd really love to see those conversations happening more with men and women. Right? 100%. Because you have to have yeah. the, the counterpart's voice in the room. Women can't just talk about it and try to fix it on their own, right? It has to be a yeah. partnership. At Bonobos, we call it an allyship, right? Yeah. So we need allies. We need people who are, you know, helping us and elevating us and opening up doors and seats at the table for us. Yeah. And that's really important. And there has to be a concerted effort in doing so. One thing also that's happened that I thought was pretty interesting at Bonobos was when I first started, I got some feedback that I used too many words to get to my point. Mm. And at first, my first reaction was, well, I have to get a communications coach. Oh, I have to fix myself. Now, why can't we just take the extra moment and listen to, you know, the few extra words I might use? Is it that annoying? I don't think so but and I'm sure other women wouldn't think so but why would I cater right to what yeah, a yeah, man yeah, yeah. expects the conversation to look like or feel like right right absolutely and again a conversation that's not happening too is is as opposed to female and male mm-hmm. feminine and masculine right and that there's that may so that's your communication style also so I'm quite verbose. Mm-hmm. But your, yours might be because you're a man might be more accepted. That's what, and that's that's, that's what right. I mean. I am. I actually get called on it from time to time, and at the same time, I don't worry about it. But again, it's in some ways because I have the privilege of being male in right. many work environments that are male, mm-hmm. um, and so. Again, I think this goes to a conversation of it's not just, I don't, I don't want it to just be how can we create space for women to have a seat at the table, but actually what can we learn from women to help everybody be better, you know, to help everybody be, I think, and that would, that would be a, even a higher level conversation mm-hmm. that would serve the same purpose without creating this divide, right? It right. would actually just be to say, there's, 
parts of Sarah that I have in myself that I just may not be present to because of our conditioning. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 And the more I'm in touch with that, I'm going to even need to be less filtering for, okay, am I just judging Sarah because she's a woman? Because we'll just be, right. um, it's more of the same, uh, we're more connected. Right. And there's more empathy, I yes. guess. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And an understanding. We have to be like, it's okay. A little bit more of that between what you bring to the table and what I might bring to the table, that's okay because what about it being complimentary? Right. And we do that We do that in a personality sense. Mm-hmm. Companies are starting, you know, we do mm-hmm. that. It's like, well, you're very analytical and I'm more creative, so boom. Right. But I think having it more in terms of the difference in the sexes and how those how they can complement each other. And then also, I mean, this goes to, I can go real deep on this conversation mm-hmm. just in terms of the masculine work environment is also what has corporate America and corporations polluting the planet in, the, in, in, our, in our economy being the way it is. Mm-hmm. It's been a masculine-driven mm-hmm. environment, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bigger level conversation here to be had as That's well. Right. Where, as you were saying, we started this conversation where you were in a meeting and you said, well, do I want to tell this joke because it really is going to serve? Right. It's actually about being just aware of everyone. And right. women, women and the feminine are actually way better at that. Right. The state of the American manager talks about how women actually are better leaders of people. Yeah. They speak to that. So it's an interesting... I'm feeling I'm feeling motivated right now to create some sort of I don't know if it's an event or a community or something around this masculine feminine conversation mm-hmm. in the workplace. Right. It's being had in more spiritual contexts mm-hmm. right now, but I think that would be really cool as well. Not just a yeah, not just like a women's empowerment thing, but really like how can we learn right. and listen? And the issue too is that if a woman shows up exuding or behaving in a more masculine way. Yeah. She's called a number of words, which I cannot say on yeah. here, right? And it's, We can edit it or bleep it, don't but worry. But you know what? It, I, it's I like, like look that right? Yeah. That's who she is. She operates like that. And and that's, a, that's bad. If a male shows up and showing what could be described as more feminine or softer, Look at what an angel he is. Isn't he wonderful? Look at how balanced that yeah. person is. Yeah. So it's hypocritical. Yeah. Right? I'm aggressive if I come off strong or I tell it like it is. I'm shooting right. from the hip. I'm not being thoughtful enough. Right. Yeah. You shoot from the hip and you're smart as a whip. Yeah. Right? So we have we have work. Yeah. I, and I get that actually. Mm-hmm. I really, I really do get that. Yeah. Um, even in my own leadership, I get uh, it's a lot of privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do this work, and I'll be in rooms of people, men and women, and I'll see the way I show up, and it's so encouraged. Yeah. And then I see the hesitancy that so many women have to be in the same way, mm-hmm. even when it's called for, but then we resist it when it. Well, yep. We resist women when they when they show up that way. That's right. So, this has been awesome. Yep. Um, really appreciate this and this conversation. I'm curious if there's any other areas of the future of work or some of these conversations that feel that you want to 
bring up before we start to wrap? No, this has been great. I think we covered so much ground. It's been wonderful. Yeah, this is great. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I appreciate it.